What are all the pitfalls in deciding who you should leave your money to and with all those stipulations? How do you avoid the mistakes other people have made? My guest, Jeff Condon, said there's no matter what your educational background, job history, employment status, economic level, ethnicity, or location, the problems and conflicts that arise when money is involved or an inheritance is divided are universal. This was true 1,000 years ago. It is true now and will be the case 1,000 years from now. This is part one of this special Executor Help episode, The Right Way and Wrong Way of Leaving Your Money to Your Children. Welcome to the Executor Help Podcast, the show dedicated to help you settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, visit davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. My guest today is Jeff Condon, nationally recognized estate planning expert. He's the author of the bestseller, Beyond the Grave, the right way and the wrong way to leaving money to your children and the living trust. Jeff, thanks for taking the time today to have the conversation. Well, it's my pleasure, David. Uh, I am always happy to elucidate people on what uh, a lot of folks consider very either dry topics or topics that are verboten from polite conversation. My job is to be in people's faces and say, this is what you have to know about inheritances and your inheritance plan in order to help preserve your family after you pass and your children end up, the children and other heirs end up with the uh, the family money, so to speak. Okay, before we go on, what was that first word you elucidate? What was it? What was that word? Verboten. No, there was elucidate. What does that mean? Oh, <laughs> elucidate means to help people understand. To oh, help okay. To I knew that, but I. Out. I knew that, but there could have been other people that are listening right now thinking, what did he just say? Okay, so we'll this just shows that this shows that I've learned a lot as an English literature major at UCLA. <laughs> and a show off. Okay, so and we'll continue here. Okay, so wait till I start with the five syllable words, man, everybody's going to be really impressed with that. Okay, I look forward to that. So when you were talking about inheritances, why is this subject, you know, seem to change people and family dynamics? And in, in your book, you talk about this is basically just uh, human nature. Why do you believe so? You know, people behave the way they behave when there's not a stressful situation. Um, you, know, you know, people walk, they talk, they breathe, and they are themselves. Whoever they are, they are themselves. But it seems when the, when stressful situations come up, you really find out a person's true nature, whether that person is uh is is calm collected histrionic there's another word for you it means upset gets upset easily um i i distill this down to to saying you you know at least in this in the subject of the conversation we're having now is you really don't know someone until you get around to having a money relationship with that person whether you owe a person money whether a whether uh, a person a person owes you money, you owe a person money. Whether you've split or shared inheritance with that person, uh, you, you just you know that's when I think true colors come out. It's almost as if there's a special DNA that is deeply recessed within the body that surfaces to change and impact the way a person walks, talks, talks, breathes perceives because now we're talking money and everybody wants 
their respective share that they feel that they are entitled to. So when it comes to money and it comes to a money relationship, that's when I think you see true nature come to, you know, come forward and uh, impact on the way a person conducts himself or herself. I would totally agree in my case. Um, that's how my book was written is based on my seven years, 10 court appearances and $50,000 in lawyer's fees. And that's because one of the siblings felt entitled, even though the estate was supposed to be split three ways, they weren't happy with that. So they went over and above to contest and made life more difficult for the rest of us. And I always kept thinking it's all about entitlement. And it's not only... I mean, you you see it. I'm I went through it, and you've probably seen in, in your, you know, with uh, clients. It, mm -hmm. it it just it just shocks me to to think that family members, people who you spend holidays with, sit down at Christmas time or Thanksgiving at the table, and just because now there's an estate and there's dollars, you have absolutely no I no idea who who these people are. It's like uh, a stranger, I, you know, David. I've been in this business for thirty five years, and I'm still shocked. I still cling to a belief, maybe naively, even after all that I've seen, that people should just act reasonably, act in a way that it, you know that makes people not have to feel like they have to battle to get to 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 to, to administer their parents trust in a state because in your situation that you just talked about three kids everything in three equal shares boom 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 done end of story but that's not the end of the story is it especially if you have children who have, uh you know who are adult children now who have always had a uh a, a, a tense relationship between them whether there's you know unresolved family baggage or, you know, the the baggage that comes from, gee, mom, you know, mom and dad, you know, they gave you more during, you know, their lifetime than to us. And so therefore, even though everything goes to all three of us in equal shares, it's still not equal because the scorecard of the lifetime gifts was not equal. Uh, you just have these emotions that come up. And, and, you know, David, it just seems to me that, you, you know, sometimes greed can be good. Greed can make people get along to administer their parents' estate so that there's less friction and less friction means everybody gets their share sooner. Everybody gets their share without having been watered down by attorney's fees. And, um, but you would think that, and, and that's just out of self-interest. It's right. so like, uh, you know, why, gee, I, I, I've always hated my sister. I feel like battling her on some aspect of the inheritance plan, but I just know that's going to reduce the share I'm going to get. And it's going to take uh, a lot longer. So, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, get along to go along. And that is a common viewpoint. But in some cases, you've been, yeah. you like you said, you've been in business for over 35 years. Yeah. There's just some people who who want to go to court because they want their day in court. They feel that they're so right that if I just get in front of the judge, 
they will see that the other party are morons. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I actually look at my role and when I have client, when I have potential clients who come to me for that, you know, I don't take, you know, I turn down more cases than I take, David. I have to believe in a case, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 61 on Sunday and, you know, I'm kind of done with, you know, actually, I don't think I've ever started with cases just being taken to extort a settlement or cases to be taken um in a you know that don't that there's no justification behind them you know you know there's no there's no there there there's no substance there you know the, a lot of lawyers you know they'll you know file first and ask questions later oh boy a case a case a case i don't think i've ever been that kind of lawyer and so uh, but there are a lot out there and so there are sometimes lawyers who stoke emotions in the inheritance process in the in the in litigation because maybe they're taking the case on a contingency basis or maybe they're thinking hey if this person is foolish enough to pay me money i'm foolish enough to take this case right um you know it, it's i just never understood that yeah. because i i believe my role is to try to help families stay family after the parents die and the family then divides the money and property Right. I've always looked at that as my role, as a counselor, as a facilitator, not as a combatant. Yeah. So, and I know there are some people out there. My dad used to say, my dad had taught me this business. He goes, Jeff, you know, there are just some people who just want their lawyer to be yelling and screaming at the other side so that your clients, you know, will say, now that's a lawyer. That's a lawyer. That's my guy. You're the guy. And I guess he was that, you know, he would take those kinds of cases because, that's just, you know, my dad was a bit more combative than I am, I suppose. But I've never subscribed to that. I want people to get along, to go along, even if it kills them. Because the definition of a good compromise is where everybody walks away upset. They didn't get what they were supposed to expect, that they expected to get. And they, or they give, gave more than they wanted to give. Good. Everybody's upset. Everybody walk away. Yeah, you know, uh, I know I'm just kind of going on these, uh, you know, maybe irrelevant tangents, but uh, you've got. Oh, no, they're relevant to- because I think for people listening that um, you 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 have to think twice if you if you're going to if you want to go down. I called it a cliff. If you want to mm-hmm. go over that cliff, if you want to go to court, you want to get in front of the, the uh, in front of a judge. Understand mm-hmm. that it's not going to be like an episode of this is uh, of of. Um, of uh, law and order that mm-hmm. it's going to be over in an hour mm-hmm. so you if you've got to be willing to give up maybe time at work you're going to be giving up and be scratching checks to lawyers and it mm-hmm. depends on yeah. the type of lawyer that you have that's probably going to try and talk you out of it mm-hmm. but i also have you have to understand that you're walking to a cliff and if you're ready to jump off just for your principles mm-hmm. be you know when you land who knows what's what are you going to be left with when when you land Oh, exactly. What I what I like what I like to do is if I have some clients who are really insistent, I come up with some some egregious retainer to say, okay, is this what you want to do? Fine. You know what? I'll take your money. I need a twenty five thousand dollar retainer. Oh, really? Not less. Uh, No, this is what you want to do. And when that's done, when we run through that, I'm going to ask for another twenty five thousand dollar retainer. So that's a way of chasing away these cases sometimes with insistent people. Um, doesn't happen that often, but 
but it's kind of fun when it does. <laughs> so let me ask you the question. Why do you believe, um, what are the reasons that people end up fighting about money? Is it because there's a, a, a lack of communication that maybe the parents didn't talk to the kids? Um, you know, can you think of a, of a case where that came up? Well, you know, if we're talking about uh, a family upheaval in the inheritance arena, essentially we're talking about what type of inheritance instructions did mom and dad come up with in their living trust? Uh, because the living trust, I know you're out there in Montreal and you know Canada may have some you know different inheritance vehicles than we do right. in America. But essentially, the, that if you have real estate, you're going to have your inheritance instructions in a living trust. It's a document that says who gets what when you die and how they get it. Okay, so. So what what comes up are children, adult children of parents who are unhappy with those inheritance instructions. Now, why are they unhappy? Well, the one reason is, is that perhaps uh, in the most in the simplest one is if the inheritance is not distributed equally to these children. And how do and, and, and you know, there's the obvious one where. Maybe parents left more to a child and less to another. Why? Because maybe they liked the 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 uh, the, the child who got less less. Right. Or what is common is that they felt well, you know, you know, we got I got son and daughter, and son is a successful physician, and the daughter is a struggling school teacher, and she doesn't need it as much. So we're going to do what we feel is economic justice between them. And leave more to the struggling school teacher daughter and less to the, to the physician son. And he, because he doesn't need it, and he'll be fine with that. Okay, I get that a lot, a lot. The first thing I want to hear that is, I think you should talk to your successful child to see what she he or she thinks. No, Mr. Conan, it's my plan. I can do what I want. Yes, absolutely, you can do what you want. But in my opinion, there's going to be fallout if between the two kids, if you haven't. Not cleared it with them, but just told them about this in advance. And maybe if you do, you can see, you know, can gauge the reactions. Oh, we know, Mr. Condon, our son will be fine with it, doesn't need the money. Well, you know, okay. You know, if this were my dad talking, he wouldn't take the plan because he know what would come up as a result of it. He would come up in a situation, there would be a situation where the, the successful child would say words to the effect of, you know what? I hate my sister, the one who got more. I hate my brother got more. I you know, I really hate my parents, but they're not here because they're deceased. So I'm going to transfer that hatred onto my sibling. Why? Because I worked long and hard to bring success to me. And, and if I brought success to me, that would bring honor to my parents. And what did my parents do? They punished my success and rewarded my dingbat sister's failure. Right. So, um, so that comes back to what you were saying at the beginning yeah. of why there's these fights, because maybe the successful child mm -hmm. has an issue from when he was a kid with the, the, the sister, you yeah. know, they both went to the same schools and she decided to go one route and he went mm -hmm. the other route. And, you know, why are you, why are you punishing me for my success? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, 
And you know, th so that's just one example of intentionally treating children unequally. Uh, what about inadvertently treating them unequally? You know, if you have mom and dad have a living trust and they have all their assets, you know, house, apartment building, whatever, and they have three kids and the living trust says all three, you know, everybody shares equally, equally. Well, that sounds like equal distribution to me. Right. Sure it does. I've alluded to this before, though. If you have children who have received lifetime gifts from the parents, the parents aren't keeping a scorecard. They're helping out children when, you know, that those children need help, whether it's for, you know, mortgage, start a business, um, you know, you know, the kids need, you know, their grandkids need braces, you know, travel, whatever, maybe spending more on weddings or what have you. You know, they're helping a child when that time when that child needs help. So they die. And when the kids come together and they say, gee, mom and dad did not treat us equally in their inheritance plan because they believe that the earlier lifetime gifts are a component of that inheritance plan, even though that's not what mom and dad thought. But that's what the kids are thinking, because we're talking money. We're talking the the, the real emotions and the, the, you know, the hidden agendas that the kids have had that they've never talked to mom and dad about before because they didn't want to come across as greedy bastards. They didn't want to say, gee, you just gave $250,000 to brother Paul to go to Stanford Medical School. Well, I just went to Santa Monica College and that was $5,000. Gee, maybe there should be some equalization. But the kids aren't saying that. Because right. they're polite. But now it's coming out after mom and dad die. And then the children who receive less may attempt to impose pressure on their on the on the sibling who got more of the earlier lifetime gifts and say, gee, if mom and dad had thought about it, they would have equalized in the inheritance plan, come up with some way to equalize. They didn't do it. Uh, so therefore, now you really should do that. And, you know, what do you think that the uh, that that imposed upon sibling is going to do. He's never going to talk to his, his, his siblings anymore. So this once close family, if close, is never going to talk to each other again. And the grandkids aren't going to talk to each other again. The grandkids don't even know why. So that's a way of inadvertently, inadvertently treating children unfairly. And that is a way of destroying families in the inheritance relationship. There's a number of other things of inadvertent unequalization. One way, another way, and this happens a lot is if let's say there's two kids, mom and dad have two kids and the living trust leaves everything to those two kids. Okay, great. Sounds, sounds equal. But if one of those kids borrowed money from dad and mom and maybe even signed a note saying, I promise to pay you back the 50,000 I borrowed me to, to, you know, so I can, you know, pay for that, uh, you know, you know, uh, um, renovation on the house, down payment on a house, start a business, whatever. Okay. And then mom and dad loan money, but they don't get repaid, you know, because may, maybe the, maybe the, the, this debtor son, it's called debtor son, you know, maybe start making a few payments. Maybe he stopped making payments. Mom and dad wondering where's this month's payment coming from. And then they realize, gee, the unawkwardness, the, excuse me, the awkwardness of the, uh, of this, of this debt is, is not, is keeping, their son from coming around and means they, that mom and dad don't get to see their grandchildren as much. So they don't mention it. And to the son, the debtor son, not mentioning it is the same thing as forgetting it. And now mom and dad die. 
And when the trust says everything goes to those two kids equally, everything includes the unpaid debt, whether it's evidenced by a loan, by, by a promissory note or not. So now you have a, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, sibling, you know, it's a daughter who you know, says, gee, um, uh, mom and dad loaned you $50,000. Uh, you know, uh, it went unpaid and I did some math. And $50,000 over 20 years at compounded interest is now something crazy like $250,000. So now you owe $250,000. Well, obviously, you don't, since you get half of everything and you get half of that debt, which means you don't have to pay yourself back, of course, brother. But I want my $125,000. Pay up. Gee, mom and dad didn't think about that, did they, when they were dividing everything equally? There are solutions to all these problems, by the way, David. I haven't talked about them, but 95% of the solution to any inheritance problem is recognizing that problem in the first place. You know, as my dad used to say, you know, uh, you know, my dog can come up with, uh, you know, solutions. Solutions are easy. Recognizing the problems is the tough part. This is, you know, we recognize all the problems that arose after having a volume of clients who we did living trust for die. And then we saw their inheritance plans come to life and we saw what happened and saw that plans we came up with about 30 years before, 20 years before, you know, inadvertently create these chasms between kids. So, you know, it's kind of like a school of hard knocks. Right. Learn from our mistakes. You say, gee, uh, now we ask mom and dad, did you make any loans to any kids? Yes, we did. OK, great. Do you want to equalize with that or do you just want to say, hey, that's life in the big city? And we loan money to a kid when that kid needed help. And we just want that loan canceled at our death. Um, and, and no equalization takes place. Whatever they want to do. Whatever yeah. they want to do. But, but David, just getting back under your categories, that's another way of how, of how the inheritance plan can inadvertently create conflicts between kids. So now that they end up in some sort of uh, court proceeding or litigation proceeding or just <laughs> family disharmony over these inheritance instructions that are in this uh, living trust. Yeah, I've so had a, a I had a client in that situation. What he did was he named the loan in saying that he had loaned to his son so that mm -hmm. whatever portion would be coming to him, that would be deducted out, whatever was paid or wasn't paid. So that was, you know, there was reference to it. So whether in U.S. or in Canada, the issues are all the same. It's just that the uh, the estate planning techniques and strategies are, might be slightly different based on, you know, the province I'm in or the state that you might be in. But the issues mm -hmm. globally are all the same when it comes down to inheritance and families. We both seem to be saying the same thing is that conversations matter, that, that yes, we've done the paperwork, but don't let the paperwork do the talking for us when we're not here, because then there's a misinterpretation and then we've got the fight's going on. But what do you say to the, you know, the testator, the someone who's who's setting up their estate, who's naive to think, Jeff, Dave, you two are morons. My family, we get along great. You should see the casserole that Aunt Lucy brings. And at, at Thanksgiving, we sit down and, and we play board games at Christmas. We don't need to have those conversations. They're so naive. What do you say to the person like that? Well, let me let me give you this example of how reticent, ooh, three syllables, good job, Jeff, reticent <laughs> that people are to talk about their inheritance plans with their kids. I've done, 
no, I don't know, 100 billion living trusts, some some uh, hyperbolic facetious number. Well, let's see how many, you know, so let's say I've done like uh, 3,000 living trusts for folks in 35 years, probably, probably more. With each, with each client, I offer as part of the flat fee uh, that I quote to perform the service, as part of that, I say, I am happy to go over your app. When it's done, after you've signed in everything, I am happy to have a meeting with your family so I can explain to them what it is that you've accomplished with your inheritance plan and kind of give them a preview of what happens after their parents pass so I can say, you know, so so they can, you know, have an expectation as to not only what it is that they're getting, but how they're getting it and what the process is for getting it. Because information is good. Information takes the stress off, you know, takes the stress away. Information takes the wonder away or and the and the bewilderment away. So and especially in situations where maybe the maybe the uh the, the inheritance plan is different from what the kids expect. Like, for example, maybe the, the parents think, you know, maybe the kids are receiving their respective shares in a subtrust where they might not have complete control of it until they reach a designated age or maybe for the rest of their lives with third party control because the parents perceive that there is an issue maybe that uh, that could negatively impact on that on those children's shares, such as, you know, the parents perceive that maybe the child is financially immature maybe that there's going to be a divorce in the family and they don't want that you know their their uh, what their kids receive an inheritance to end up with a, a an ex-spouse of their kids all kinds of things that come up that the parents perceive could you know could result in whatever their what whatever uh changes they have in their inheritance instructions but i'll get back to the point the point is that out of all of these these offers out of all these living trusts that I have done and made that offers part of the packet eight, maybe there have been eight family inheritance meetings, maybe eight times that I've been able to sit down with the kids and say, wow, your parents are really special. They're actually allowing me to give you this preview of what it is that you're getting, how you're getting it and what the process is afterwards. Is, the, is, the point is, that, is, is that, is that so that they, they shy away from that because you're making the offer you're the third party. You're not part of the the family drama that could come up, and they still don't take you up on the offer because they're already paying for it. Why is it they're so reticent? Why won't they let you finish the job, so to speak, to um, you know let the family know where we're going going forward? And this is what you're. Are they wor- worried about the hurt feelings? Are they worried about the uh, next, yeah, next yeah, family uh, get together? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because some because a lot of times. If the inheritance instructions are such that the parents find that their children might be offended or aggrieved uh, or um, de- or despondent. Which which, the, Jeff, which is the question I would ask you. Then you say they might f- feel offended. I ask you the question, do you owe your children anything? That's the end of part one of my conversation with Jeff Condon, nationally recognized estate planning expert, author of bestseller Beyond the Grave. The right way and wrong way to leaving money to your children. Find out in part two if parents really owe their children anything. 
and what are the right ways and wrong ways to leave money to your children. All that and more on the next episode of Executor Help. Thanks for joining me. You've been listening to the Executor Help Podcast. For more details, visit davidedy.com or follow David on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. 